is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 435, recorded on Wednesday, June the 12th, 2019. Hello, Jason. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Happy June. Happy happy June, Chris. Well, we're almost halfway through June already, so I'm, I'm a little uh, disappointed at how fast the summer is going, and I don't think it's even technically summer yet, but it feels like we're blowing through. Yeah. Anyways, um, so it's a Wednesday, everyone. After all that talk about Thursday night recordings, here we are on a Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, life gets in the way of everything. It kind of does. Uh, my day job sent me to Chicago for a few days, and I will be unavailable tomorrow night to record. So we're doing it here on a Wednesday. I hope no one is too upset, but uh, the alternative was not doing it at all, and I didn't yeah. feel like that was a good alternative. There's a, an old military adage that uh, no plan, no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. Yeah, I, I think you've brought that up before, and it's very, yeah. very true. You know, we, we made a plan, we got through one week of that plan, and here we are on a Wednesday. Yeah, and in military terms, contact is uh, the first shot of a battle. Of right. any kind of, uh, you know, you have contact, that means that there's actual fighting going on, not just maneuvering and stuff. But as soon as you uh, fire that first shot, there goes your plan. Yeah, out the window. Well, anyways, we're going to try to make the best of it here. Yep. I'm in a hotel room in Chicago, beautiful Chicago. I do like this city a lot. It's it's a fun place to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other problem is tonight is Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals, which is the kind of thing I like to watch every year, being a giant hockey fan. So I'm also missing You're not most... that big. You're not, you're not a giant. Oh, sorry. I'm, a, I'm an average-sized hockey fan. Yeah. Uh, but it's the kind of thing I like to watch, so I've decided that uh, I will be podcasting with you instead of watching most of the game. Sort of, yeah. You've got it on in the background, right? I must admit, I do have it on on the TV beside me on mute, yes. All right, good. Well, yeah, the only other problem with that is uh, if we did record tomorrow night, that would be the uh, the Raptors uh, game, during the Raptors game, which I know you don't necessarily watch and I don't necessarily watch, but it's a pretty friggin' big deal up here in uh, in Canada and in Toronto, so it's hard to not pay attention. It is, and the Raptors are on the verge of winning the NBA championship, which mm-hmm. you know has totally got me on the bandwagon. I'm not that into basketball, but you know when the home team is about to win it all, it's hard not to pay attention and watch yeah. those games. And frankly, it is fun to watch with the kids because they're totally into it too. So, oh, good, good. I have, I don't actually watch the games. I just kind of. Uh, Watch the, the, the live stream of the score and the timer counting down. Sure. Well, it's basketball. You only really need to see the last two or three minutes anyways, so you're fine. Yeah. There you go. Uh, anyways, we're not here to talk about sports. We are here to talk about Season 5, Episode 2 of Fear the Walking Dead. But before we do that, I just want to make one other quick note. It's not sports-related. It is kind of podcast-related. And that is that back in the off-season... I realized yesterday we promised to cover Dead Set, the Charlie Brooker uh, miniseries oh, yeah. from about a decade ago. And I realized on the plane here, actually, that we didn't do that because we ran out of time with other things going on. So 
I just wanted to clarify for anyone that was wondering, we still will do that as soon as there is time. And I think that will probably be sometime during the hiatus between uh, this season of the first half and second half of this season of fear. So if you were wondering about that, we will be doing it. Just thought I'd mention that. I totally forgot. So thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> yeah, I know. I figured if I didn't, it would just never be talked of again, and uh, that would <laughs> not be cool. Uh, and, you know, related to that, uh, Black Mirror is back, which is also a Charlie Brooker show, and I highly recommend everyone watch that. I've only seen the first, uh, the first of the three new episodes that are on Netflix, but I loved it, and Black Mirror's never done a bad episode, in my opinion, so... I'm a huge fan. Awesome. I look forward to being able to, uh, and finding time to watch Black Mirror. Yeah, I know. It's it's the kind of thing I could see us talking about also in the future. So look out for that maybe. Yeah. Okay, uh, real quick, the ratings for Season 5, Episode 2 of Fear the Walking Dead, which was called The Hurt That Will Happen. Uh, it's down from Season, or uh, Episode 1. It had, see, Episode 2 had 1.69 million. Uh, not a great Huge number by any stretch, uh, not a huge number compared to The Walking Dead, but fairly consistent with how we've started season five of Fear. And I would imagine it's going to stick around that number for the entire season, maybe with small spikes here and there at things like the mid-season finale. But 1.69 million, it's a lot of people, but by Walking Dead standards, it's uh, not that many. Yeah, it's fine. It's a solid number. It, it is a solid number. Hey, if 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 I had 1.69 million people watching me do anything, that'd be a if lot I of people. If I had 1.69 million anything, I don't care what it is, I probably have 1.69 million cells. Sure. Yeah, but you know, if I had an actual quantity of anything that I could hold in my hand or uh, have, then that would be that'd be great. It'd be quite a bit. About, well, it depends on what it is, I suppose. You know, we're talking about ants in my basement. That'd be bad. I probably have that somewhere around there. You might. You might have. There's a lot of ants out there. Oh, there are a lot of ants. That's true. I wonder how many hairs the average person has on their head. Do you think it's that many? Probably not. eh? Let's count. Let's not. I just, I'm going to assume it's not that many, but if anyone knows, let us know. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into our discussion of this episode of Fear. And I think we're going to start here with a couple of calls. The first one is from our friend Anwen. Hi, Chris and Jason. It's Anwen here. Hope you guys are well. I'm not very well. A couple of weeks ago, my, um, I got a concussion. My husband's Lego fell on my head. A six kilogram box of Lego fell off the wardrobe. So I'm suffering a little bit with that and I have limited screen time and I'm actually regretting that I wasted the screen time on this episode of Fear this week. I have a lot of questions. I think it suffered from some really poor writing. So my questions are, why doesn't anybody explain anything to each other? Alicia tells Jane and John all about these radioactive Zs and why you can't go near them and they just accept it. They don't ask how she knows and she doesn't say she's met a new person. It's a really big deal meeting a new person at this stage of the apocalypse. Why does Morgan just stand there for ages under the shower before Grace tells him instructions on how to detox or whatever when she's so limited on water he just stands there looking all somber why after all this time does Alicia not just give the gun back to Grace instead she tries to take on all the zombies herself and why doesn't she just stab them as soon as they get into the mud why is Luciana even still alive 
Why did they leave her all alone by herself when why should why does she go outside by herself? I just don't understand why did the writers feel like they have to put in these really cheesy lines for her? I want to play the accordion. It's just nonsense. I almost not rage quit this show, but I almost ridiculous quit this show after this episode. It better get better or I'm out. See you guys. Bye. All right, thank you, Anwen. So first of all, a six kilogram box of Lego fell on her head. Yeah. And she has a concussion from it. So that's that's terrible. And I Anwen, I hope you're doing okay and you're you're recovering. Yeah, take it easy. I mean, Lego can be uh, uh, dangerous. I always thought that, you know, Lego was most dangerous from stepping on, but uh, it seems like if you store it in high places in large quantities, uh, taking it down or moving it uh, could have repercussions. It does It does seem like it. Yeah, Jason, I hope you store your Lego safely because I know you have a lot too. Yeah, I'm more, uh, it's not necessarily a matter of taking it down that will cause injury if it slips. It's a more, it's more a matter of if, uh, the boxes start to collapse on me, I'll just, uh, I'll be caught in a, a, a Lego lanch, <laughs> which could be, uh, uncomfortable. Never to be heard from again. Yeah. I, wow. I have way too much Lego and they're all in boxes. Well, that's okay. You can never have too much. Uh, let's listen to this call here from Gemma first and then kind of talk about them together. Okay. Hey guys. Um, this is Gemma from South Wales. Just leaving some feedback about, um, Fear the Walking Dead episode two. I really want to like this season. I do. Because I liked the beginning of last season and then before it totally went to hell. But I am struggling. I'm really struggling because... It's just so, some things are just so stupid. Like Luciana in today's episode. Why? Why do the things that you do? Like you're injured, you're on pain meds, you're just completely off your head. Walking outside in the dark on your own. The door shut. And I was pretty convinced that the door was just going to be locked when she went up to it anyway. But that she kind of just stands there. Zombies are coming. She's looking around like, oh my god! I'm like, move! Why? I just... It's like they build it up like this horror film as well, with like the mist and the silence and you know zombies coming. I know you're going for like a scare effect, but these are like season survivors now. It's not like season one of The Walking Dead where you know like anyone can make a mistake, but these are like people who have survived. Don't do the stupid shit. Like it really bugs me. And then it's just like Morgan's still giving these inspirational speeches, like, like one way is one way, and one minute he's like, "Oh, I kill people," and then I don't want to kill people, and it's just like, it's kind of just boring. I mean, but because it's fear, the Walking Dead or Walking Dead universe, and then dangling this thing with Rick now and Dwight, I'm not gonna give up on it because it's simply because it's Walking Dead content. I missed actual Walking Dead when it's on. And the heads, I guess, the floating heads are kind of interesting. Maybe they're, they're the whisperers who have gone to Texas or something. I don't know. I guess I really want to love the show, but I'm struggling. So, yeah, that's my feedback. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. All right, thanks, Gemma, and thanks, Anwen. So what, I, what they both mentioned is the whole thing with Luciana in this episode. And... I didn't really mark this down as a topic specifically for us to talk about. Well, we obviously need to address it. So uh, 
she's recovering all by herself in the truck stop because everyone else has left her alone. John Dory leaves her with a gun and says, you know, if anything gets in, this should take care of it. Um, and then yep. she decides to go outside when she hears a noise in the middle of the night, not knowing what is out there. What are your feelings on this entire scenario, Jason? Well, she complained about the drugs. She said, uh, she started asking about the accordion. It's a, you know, uh, an old joke where, uh, doctor, will I ever be able to, will I be able to play the piano? It's like, well, yeah, you'll be able to play the piano. Awesome. I would never, I couldn't play the piano before. So it's a, it's a joke. So she, it basically was humor. Uh, will I be able to play the accordion? It's like, well, do you play the accordion? Well, I was thinking about learning. So it's kind of like a, a half joke. Like right. they had the opportunity for a joke, but then they, they kind of blew it halfway through. Uh, so, but then she mentioned that this is the drugs talking, right? Yep. And, and uh, so June said, yes, that's the drugs. So basically they wanted to establish that she's really loopy and drugs can make you loopy. Pain meds can make you incredibly loopy. If I remember my, uh, uh, my stepfather being on pain meds and he'd wake up and he's like, uh, did, did we feed the dog? It's like, well, no, we don't have a dog. It's like, okay, good. And then he would go back to sleep kind of thing. So it was, uh, uh, they make you have weird dreams and they make you think and say weird things. I absolutely agree with that. But, uh, the problem I had was they were kind of playing it for humor, but not really. And then John Dory is like, okay, she's obviously on, you know, pretty serious pain meds and she's obviously not very lucid. Here's a gun. Good luck. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, I understand uh, self-defense in this uh, apocalyptic uh, universe, but uh, maybe don't leave her alone. Maybe maybe leaving her by herself is probably a bad idea because she's obviously making uh, drug-induced uh, hallucinogenic decisions uh, to do things. So... Like you, I didn't really note this as a as a particular topic because I thought they explained it. It didn't quite work for me, but then again, the whole episode didn't quite work for me, and so this part didn't quite stand out uh, in any way. But yeah, she was making dumb decisions, uh, but I don't necessarily fault the show per se. I kind of fault everybody, the characters. I I I fault the characters. Uh, for leaving her alone, giving her a gun, uh, expecting that she can fend for herself. Uh, I just thought that was that was dumb. Yeah, but it is kind of dumb writing, um, you know, because it, it's it's manufacturing um, trouble, Drama? right? Yeah, yeah. Sort of, you know, it's manufacturing tension. And we've talked about this a little bit before where you, you want it to feel organic or realistic but when someone is like when, when they put a character in the situation where you're taking medication it's making you a bit loopy here's a gun and then spend the night alone in this unfamiliar truck stop in the zombie apocalypse like you can just see what's about to happen you know it's just yeah. so obvious something is going to go wrong if if someone had stayed behind with her to help protect her then Th what happened here actually would have been fine, in my opinion. Let's say June had stayed behind with her to keep her company and, and protect her. And then there's a noise outside. And maybe June goes outside to investigate. Fine. She's perfectly able-bodied, not injured, not on drugs. 
and she wants to keep them safe. Even if a zombie had like gotten in the back door and threatened Luciana, it would have been fine because the decisions leading to that weren't so obviously telegraphing the fact that there was going to be problems and, you know, it's, it's characters doing the right things and bad things still happening to them, which is fine. But when they're all making these stupid, dumb decisions you, and you can just see what's about to happen, that's just not great storytelling, in my opinion. That is a show putting characters in danger kind of for no reason or just for, you know, what they think is going to be entertaining for the audience and not what's best for telling a fun story. Yeah, it seemed a little manufactured. You're right. Yeah, it's it's manufactured. So um, I, I found the accordion lines kind of amusing. So I was sort of okay with that and depicting her being a bit wacky on the drugs. That's fine. You know, the show needs some humor now and then, and maybe it was a bit of a half-assed attempt at it, but it really didn't bother me that much. It's kind of everything else about that, that scene that did. So it's, it's too bad, but this show has been suffering from that kind of thing in a lot of ways for a while now. Yep. Right. Now on the other side of the coin here, I have an email from Corey in Oregon who says, Season 5, Episode 2 was absolutely fantastic. 10 out of 10 episode. Great conversation with Morgan and Alicia. Good action. New twists and plot devices. I love it. I have a feeling Season 5 will be my favorite season yet. So happy with where the show is heading. Radioactive zombies. Radioactive zombies. That is a thing that we're going to talk about uh, very soon. Um, But I wanted to include that because, again, I... It's not fair if we just straight up focus on all the negative because this episode for me actually wasn't that bad. I didn't mind this one. I don't mean to sound so surprised when I say that, but (laughs) I actually kind of liked, I actually kind of liked this episode. It had some problems, but I found it generally enjoyable. Um, Okay. And one of one of them. I'm not sure I necessarily agree. And I qualified that twice. So I put two qualifiers in there. Uh, it was okay, and it was kind yeah. of a kind of a push in my mind because nothing really. Well, I don't feel like the, the overall story moved forward, and I I don't like the idea of splitting the party. Uh, so they split the party, and they have a Strand, you know, uh, trying to get a plane to to go and help, and then they have all this these other people on the other side of the mountain. Uh, what what mountain? I don't know, but uh, whatever. So I didn't mm-hmm. like that. So I, overall, I wasn't overly impressed with this episode, but I didn't hate it either. It kind yeah. of, uh, you know, on a scale of uh, one to a hundred, you know, percentile kind of thing, I'd give it about a 68, which is almost a pass. Right? If you you have 70 as a benchmark for passing, uh, then uh, 68 kind of, it's right on the, it's right on the border. Yeah, I mean, these days, especially with um, certifications and things like that, usually a 75, I think, is considered a pass. Um, I, well, not I know the two people. I take lately. Tests I take no? 70 is a pass. Okay, well, I know That's two Microsoft people. Microsoft certifications, though. Two people who have recently in my life gone through various certificate, certificating, certifying. Uh-huh. <laughs> One of which is a guy I know who's recently done his real estate certification. I think he had to get 75 to pass okay. that. And then my wife recently became a certified Pilates instructor, and I'm pretty sure she needed a 75 as well, which she got. Nice. So. Well, you have two examples. I only have one. Yeah. 
I'm just not 100% sure. Anyways, yeah, are, 68. Are you 75% sure? I'm or 70, 70? 76% 76. sure. 76%. So yeah, yeah, so just to be sure that you pass both standards of passing. Yes. Um, but it's it's interesting you bring up splitting the party because that actually was something in this episode that I wasn't unhappy with. I actually liked, for once, how everybody was split up in this one. And I liked it because I felt like they weren't too far apart. And they were split up for a reason. Like everyone was doing something. They had, um, they all had uh, purposes and goals and we kind of saw them working towards those. And sure, you don't want to split up the party too far because it makes you weaker. You're not in a group. But I felt at least like we were watching people do things and do things for a reason. Okay. And so so for that was like kind of the main reason why I thought this episode was reasonably good and, and worked. Because, yeah, everyone was dispersed a little bit. But I felt like they weren't too far apart and they were doing things for a reason. They had a purpose to what they were doing. Um, but it, it definitely had some problems. Um, but overall, I think it was one of the better fear episodes in the last little while. Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, to the level that the show has been in the past, right? which has been pretty good. So um, those are kind of my, my general thoughts on it. And I'm happy to say that I liked it a little bit more than I have in a long time. Well, that's good. I'm glad. I'm happy for you that yeah. you're happy to, for that. Um, out of 100, the funny thing is out of 100, I wouldn't actually rate it that much higher than, than your 68. It's just I consider that a little bit better than uh, it has been in a while. Um, so I was happier with it. Than, than I think you were. Right. Well, we, we've talked about this concept in the past. It's not only how good something is, but how uh, what your expectations are. Uh, right. So something might be, and how much you enjoyed it, regardless of how good it is. It might be yeah. a completely piece of shit movie or television show, just in general, if you're watching something. It might be the biggest piece of shit garbage you've ever seen in your whole life. But A, you could really enjoy that. And B, if your expectations are so friggin' low that it was that it beat your expectations, then uh, then it goes up. So you can't just say it was good or it was bad. You have to you have to have other uh, markers for qualification. So for sure, for yeah. sure. So maybe we gave it the same quality score, but you had different expectations than me, and you had uh, uh, different enjoyment levels. Yeah. Well, here's here's something else I enjoyed about it. And this email comes from Matt in Lindenwald, New Jersey. Uh, Matt writes, generally, I enjoyed this episode. It looked really nice. Now, <laughs> Matt's email was much longer than that. And he actually had a bunch of nice things to say about the episode. But he was the only person that wrote in and mentioned the cinematography here. Right. And I wanted to bring it up because I had exactly the same feeling. I thought this was a very good-looking episode. There were a lot of very beautifully shot and framed scenes. So I made a short list of a few examples here uh, just to prove my point, sure. at least the way I see it. So you're going to give examples. You're going to give audio examples of visual stuff. I mean, I'm just going to mention them, yeah. And if you'd like to go back and, and look them up in the episode and see whether you agree, you're welcome to. But Okay. Well, uh, well paint me a word picture, Chris. 
Sure. So there's a scene where John and June have recently are out looking or are out on the scout, out on the scout, and their truck is broken down. So they have to continue on foot. And they're walking away from their, their dead truck, and they sort of fade into the distance a little bit and then disappear around a corner. And I thought it was a very nice, effective scene that looked great, but also, to me, depicted the sort of desolation of everything really well. It was very quiet. The camera was still. It was just two characters disappearing into the distance. And honestly, I wish it had lingered a little bit longer on the empty frame, but I thought it was a really well shot scene. Nice. So that's one. Uh, when Alicia and Morgan are in the woods just before they find the bird trap, I thought all those shots were really great, really, uh, nice looking sort of forest scenes, Mm -hmm. a little bit foggy at times and really had a lot of, uh, ambiance to it all. When John and June walked into that camp, I think it's a little bit similar. There's a lot of sort of nice nature there, uh, which I thought looked really good. And then the final shot of the episode, Strand is walking away into the night and it's kind of blue, inky-ish color. He sort of kills a zombie in silhouette. And I thought that was all really good looking too. So there was just plenty of good cinematography in this episode. I'm glad Matt mentioned it. And I think it looked really nice, which helped. From a visual point of view, one thing that I really liked is when... uh, uh, Alicia and Morgan were standing in front of those cars that said uh, danger, that was spray painted on a danger, keep out. Yep. Uh, yep. Alicia was standing, uh, blocking some of the words, and it looked like it said, dang, keep out. Dang, keep out. I really like that. I <laughs> thought that was visually awesome. Well, there you go. This was a visually pleasing episode. And, you know, kudos to everyone involved in making that, those aspects of it. So... Great cinematography. Yeah. And the only other visual that I had, uh, I, the only other note that I had written down was the, the fact that uh, this show in general seems to follow the concept of if the camera doesn't see it, neither do the characters. Because uh, Alicia tackled that uh, uh, nuclear uh, technician lady uh, out of nowhere, like from within her field of view, uh, mm-hmm. off from off camera, but she didn't see her. We just heard Alicia coming at the last second, uh, and then she entered frame, and that's when uh, they were they were first uh, notified that she was anywhere near them. Yeah, I mean, she came directly from the side, and she was focusing on Morgan. So when you're focusing on something, your peripheral vision narrows, right? So I can believe that she didn't see her coming. Not didn't hear no, her coming. No, I don't know. We're hunters. I mean, if we're if uh, if somebody's trying to steal attention, then maybe. Uh, but uh, you know, as a, as a as a species, we're we're kind of predators. Our eyes are both facing forward, which means we can tell distance really well. And they they've done studies. I don't know who they are, and I don't know what these studies are. But I'm going to spew pseudoscience here. Uh, the studies have shown that if 3% of your field of vision moves in the same direction, it takes your attention. Like it calls right. for your attention because we are meant to look at uh, a bunch of trees in the woods or that are moving all uh, in the wind, moving in random directions, right? And we can filter all that out. And if 3% of our field of view moves in the same direction, then we can go, oh, there's something there's something there. 
So somebody mm, coming from your peripheral vision, the size of a human being, four feet away from you, running really fast, that's more than 3% of your field of view. Uh, and it was well within her peripheral vision. It didn't, she, at least didn't hit her from behind. She hit her from the front. Well, hit her from the side. And, and Grace, her name is, she does look directly to the side just as Alicia gets there. Yeah. She, I so, just, I'm saying, okay, so Grace shouldn't drive a car because she's going to kill people if, if, well, uh, if she has tunnel vision like that. And it might be, uh, you know, when they talked about the effects of the radiation on her body, uh, you know, it, it might be degrading her uh, field of vision. Maybe she has tunnel vision. Maybe she can't, uh, she has no prefer- peripheral vision left. Well, see, there you go. You just explained it. That's not really how radiation works, but whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, whatever. Speaking of radiation, though, Mike in Des Moines, Iowa writes in, the characters in Fear the Walking Dead live daily amongst the dead, the walking dead. Why in the hell are they suddenly using kid gloves on a couple of walkers that may or may not be contaminated with radiation? We're four or five years into the zombie apocalypse. Who the hell cares at this point? The scene in which the walkers were slowed by the mud puddle and ended up with Alicia fighting for her life on the ground, while hazmat lady Geiger counted the still quote-unquote living walkers, was laugh-out-loud funny. Hysterical. Radiation or not. If I'm on the ground and a walker is snapping at my heels, please don't hesitate to shoot away. Radiation be damned. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a matter of kill me now or kill me later, right? Radiation's serious and you've got to take it seriously. But uh, yeah, if, uh, if there's an immediate danger, take care of that first. Well, Graham on the internet writes, radioactive zombies, this is exactly the kind of crap that Z Nation would pull. Specialty walkers. Shaking my head. So let's talk about radiation zombies. Well, we've uh, had other kinds of zombies, right? We've had flaming zombies. We've had waterlogged zombies. Uh, We had sort of radiation zombies uh, before in that, remember that ditch uh, in the, in the big show where the, where they were, they had dumped uh, toxic waste. So that we had toxic zombies. I don't think they were radiation zombies, but they were toxic. Yeah. Um, did we actually, yeah, you're right. We saw those zombies. I was thinking we just saw the, the radioactive waste material in the barrels, but we did see some zombies that had come into contact with it, right? Yeah, I think so. I don't think it was radiation. I think it was biohazard, not uh, nuclear. Oh, biohazard. Right. Yeah. You're right. Um, but radioactive zombies, I mean, I don't think you can put these in the same category as on fire zombies or waterlogged zombies because those situations don't make the zombies any any more or less dangerous just slightly different maybe a flaming zombie is a little bit more dangerous because it might light you on fire well but if it's on top of you it's trying to bite you anyways and now you're on fire too so you're i guess in a little bit more trouble but radioactive zombies seem to be more of a threat because being around them can I don't know, what's the word, infect you with the radiation, and now you have radiation poisoning or cancer or whatever it might be. Yeah. So the idea, well, it's not the, uh, it's the dust. So she said that the, the nuclear plant, one of the one of the plants melt, melted down. Uh, mm-hmm. So there was radioactive uh, material spewed into the, uh, into the atmosphere. And that gets, uh, if there's radioactive dust and that gets on you, uh, it, it stays next to your skin or near you and it can cause, uh, you know, damage 
It can cause either cellular damage, which can cause cancer down the road, or can uh, severely affect you th- right then. But transference, like if uh, if you come into contact with radioactive material uh, for any length of time, you're fucked. But if you come in contact with someone who has come in contact with radioactive material, the, the danger is less depending on how much material is. So it depends on where these zombies were. If these zombies were wandering around in the core and then uh, that had, a, you know, the exposed nuclear core in the, in the plant and then wandered out, then they could be a problem. But if it's just, you know, spewing radioactive steam into the atmosphere, uh, they're probably not any more danger than just being anywhere near this place. Like, get the fuck away from here. And it's yeah. not necessarily immediate danger. It's long-term danger. It's, uh, you know, it might limit your life to five years instead of I guess 15. So. But then again, immediate danger takes precedence over, you know, well, I don't know if I'm going to live another 30 years. I might live only 15 years. Right. But they played it up in the episode like it was a pretty immediate danger. And that's one thing I didn't really get about these radioactive zombies they're they're gross for sure and they have this radioactive material that you don't want to be around and you don't want to get on you but 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 i don't quite understand grace grace's points she she was identifying the ones that were radioactive and therefore dangerous right yep but it I, i got the feeling that it was it was like more dangerous to to kill them uh, than just dealing with the non-radioactive zombies? Or did she just want to identify them so she could take care of them sort of first and safely? Well, I think the it was twofold. One, you don't want to be near the radioactive zombies if you don't have to be. So uh, take them out uh, for, yeah. for one. And the second one is uh, she doesn't want them to wander off too far, infecting people far and wide. She just wants to take care of them here and now so that they don't cause any long-term danger to people far away. Right. And and because she feels like she's responsible for it because she was in charge of the plant before it melted down. Yes. I don't think okay. she was in charge of the plant, but she said she was a production manager or something like that. I'm not sure what that is, but whatever. Well, I think she, she may have sort of taken control or a leadership role after the zombie apocalypse yeah. because she said she called all the all the teams in to try to keep the place running. And then when things really went to crap, she called in their families so they could actually live there. But then they ended up all becoming infected radiation zombies. And so she feels responsible for that. So now she's searching out this group so she can remove them. And you're right, not have them sort of spread their radiation poisoning around. I, all I'm saying is I just, I, I, it seemed like she was saying you had to be extra careful when killing them, which I guess you do because you don't want to get yeah. too close. But when, when Alicia was fighting them, like Alicia had one on top of her and Grace is like geigering the other ones to figure out which one is the radioactive one. And I think, you know, um, Mike makes a good point here. It's like at that point, you're going to kill it anyways. Just get it over with. Do it. Save the living person, even if they have been exposed a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know. Well, it, it all didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. This raises a question that I have. 
about uh, nuclear power plants. It's been rattling around in my head for the last little while. Maybe one of our listeners might be able to help me out. Uh, so if you have a water-water reactor that has a negative void coefficient, why is it that you, why is that, that a, a water-graphite reactor has a positive void coefficient? So does that make sense to you, Chris? Uh, you know, I, I mean, some of those words by themselves make sense, but I'm not sure I understood them in that order. Okay, so a void is like a bubble in boiling water, right? So you have boiling water, it's, uh, there's voids in there. Uh, in a water-water reactor, which uses water as a coolant and water as a catalyst for reaction, if the water boils away and has a negative void coefficient, so uh, if it boils away, the reactor will slow down. Less reaction, less power, it'll eventually just stop working. So that's a, that's a reactor that has a negative void coefficient. A reactor that has a positive void coefficient, like apparently a water graphite, where they use water for a coolant, but graphite as a reactor, it has a positive, a positive void coefficient. So if the water boils away, reaction increases and the whole thing's going to blow the fuck up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I don't understand why a water-water reactor would have a negative void coefficient and a water graphite reactor would have a positive void coefficient. I tried to look it up. I, I'm not qualified to understand what the internet is telling me. Well, See, the problem is I listened to an audiobook on Audible called Midnight in Chernobyl. Uh-huh. And Chern the Chernobyl reactor had a very high positive void coefficient, uh, which means it started running off when the water was uh, boil had boiled off. And there's other factors, but eventually blew up. If it had a negative void coefficient, which is the kind of reactor that I would want to live near, and quite frankly, I do live near a nuclear reactor. I live the same distance away from a nuclear reactor that the people of Perpiat lived in near Chernobyl. And they all mostly fucking died. Sure. Uh, so let's hope that doesn't happen to you. <laughs> well, the can-do reactors, which is what the Canadian react uh, nuclear reactors are based off of, uh, they all have a negative void coefficient. So when left unattended they probably will just shut down. That's I'm hoping. good to know, yeah. Whereas apparently this reactor uh, had a positive void coefficient left unattended. It melted down. Right. Well, I'm not sure I understand the concept that much better right now, but hopefully somebody yeah. else out there does and can help you out. Maybe you should write a letter to the writers of the show because they yeah. seem to have some knowledge about nuclear power reactors. Well, oddly enough, uh, my brother-in-law, uh, his neighbor came over uh, one time when we were visiting him in Ottawa, and uh, he works for the government organization that oversees nuclear reactors in uh, in Canada. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't know any of this when I met him, but if I had, I'd be asking him very pointed questions right. like that. Well, you'll have to it's do like, that. I'm sorry, we're going to have to sit here for the next four hours, and you're going to have to explain how nuclear reactors work. And about positive and negative void coefficients. Well, you're, you'll have to do that. Um, having said all that, my opinion is that radioactive zombies are a little bit campy. <laughs> it's a little bit campy. Um, I'm wondering whether or not they brought in uh, a nuclear reactor into the show because of the uh, the Chernobyl miniseries, which is fucking awesome, by the way, and everybody should watch it. I am very excited to watch the Chernobyl miniseries, but I'd be surprised if that has anything to do with this show. Uh, I think they just wanted to bring in some campy, fun zombies that were radioactive and try to do something new 
on the show. And as, as campy as I think it was, I can sort of see the fun in it. You know, here's here's a thing on the yeah. show that they're they're they are just sort of doing for fun, and you know, I don't think anyone really sees it as anything else other than just trying to have a little bit of fun with the zombies, and I'm okay with that. They're not all radioactive; just some of them have big mutations and boils on the side of their head and stuff. So even though it's campy, I was sort of okay with it. Okay, I guess. Well, as long as we don't get football zombies and football player zombies and cheerleader zombies like they do in the, you know, the campy video game stuff. Sure. I mean, keep that for uh, Zombieland and keep it out of our Walking Dead, I would say. Yeah. Well, what are they going to do next? Like, what's left? We have uh, toxic waste. Uh, We have zombies on fire. So this... Somehow have windy zombies, like wind, like a hurricane zombie. We've had that. I mean, we've, of. yeah, we've had them blow up into trees. We just kind of skipped over it though, right? Like we just, I guess. The last season we complained about that. It was like, oh, it was supposed to be a storm. Mm-hmm. All they showed was the aftermath of the storm. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So wind, water, uh, fire, radioactivity, earth. I guess they kind of come out of the ground. They do. Uh, so that's... Uh, that's it, man. All right. Well, there's nothing We're new. Done. <laughs> We're done. Nothing new. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on and talk about Grace a little bit because she's, okay. you know, she was used to introduce these these new radioactive zombies. And I've got a couple emails here. The first one from Dwayne in Vancouver, Washington. Dwayne writes, last season and this season so far reminds me a lot of the old sci-fi series from the 70s and 80s that I grew up with in particular Logan's Run and the Planet of the Apes TV show. Each week our heroes would run into a new person or group and have to deal with them, and then we would never see them again. That's how I felt so far. Will we ever see Max and Dylan again? We should have this week. Now what about the lady from the nuclear power plant? I don't even know her name, and I'm not inspired to look it up because she seems to be another throwaway character. I think we will see... Uh, Grace, again, I think Grace is actually going to become a regular on the show, even though at the end she kind of drives off on her own and says, I got to go keep doing what I'm doing. And, you know, that's despite Morgan asking her to stay. So it kind of, uh, I really like Logan's run. I've never seen the uh, uh, Planet of the Apes television show. Neither have I. I I don't even know if I knew that existed, but I'm going to go find it because that sounds awesome. Sure. And uh, I'm just thinking of the X-Files now, because the X-Files had three kind of story types. They had Monster of the Week, and then they had the, uh, oh, sorry, two of them, two different types. They had Monster of the Week, and then they had the Alien Invasion storyline. Right. So, and the stories would, you know, basically every week you'd get one of those. Whether And so is, is this show turning into a Monster of the Week kind of show? Where it's procedural, you show up, you you have a particular situation you have to deal with, and by the end you hit status quo, and uh, the situation's dealt with. This very much could be that kind of episode. Other than the monster of the week, nothing's changed. Yet. Right? I mean, time will tell, but Strand is still in the same situation that he was in when the episode started. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other, uh, The rest of the folks are pretty much in the same situation before the, the episode started. Uh, nothing really changed other than there's a monster of the week and we have some hanging uh, zombie heads, which is a calling card of some kind. 
Yeah, we don't somebody? we don't really know what's going on with those yet. That's definitely an unknown, but we've had that in both episodes so far. You're right. So, yeah, I, I kind of agree that this could be devolving into that kind of situation, but let's hope it isn't. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I think there is room for a monster of the week type zombie show. And if, if Fear the Walking Dead is going to turn into that, I think that would be a weird decision and a strange direction for them to take. But it might kind of work. I mean, last week we had um, Logan, and I was convinced Logan is going to be the bad guy for this at least half season. And it's going to be about our group trying to get back into the, the uh, denim factory. Yeah. But, but I no longer think that anymore. They've, they've introduced this whole radioactive thing. They've introduced grace. They're clearly still looking for the kids and we have Al missing and whoever took her. And I don't think those, whoever took her is even related to no. Grace and what's going on here. So I have a feeling that, you know, Logan might be somebody we don't really see much of again for the, in the immediate future. Um, so, I mean, the show has already surprised me a little bit in the direction it took in episode two. Uh, whether we'll see Grace again, I'm pretty sure she is going to be part of the show, but I'm not convinced she's going to be like, in episode three or four or who knows, but I, I definitely think she'll be back. I just don't think the show is going to really follow a, that predictable sort of a, of a storyline, unless they're using the first few episodes to set up a bunch of things that are all going to slowly come together. That probably is what's going on here. Hopefully it just, it raises a bunch of questions for me. Like one, uh, will Logan make a run for it? Uh, <laughs> right. And, uh, is he a Sandman? Uh, but he's a little older than 30, so that confuses me a little bit. Uh-huh, of course. Uh, you, you've seen Logan's Run? It's been a while, but yeah, I have. Okay, good. <laughs> great, great movie. Yeah, absolutely. It can't, can't be as hell, but uh, still a great movie. No. Uh, so, yeah, if they, they've named him Logan, then uh, we better get Logan's Running. We, we better. Uh, Jason on the internet writes, I just finished the two episodes, and I like how fear keeps things moving. I loved how Logan got his place back and how our heroes encounter folks briefly. And that's that, like the kids and Grace, for example. That's how I, I imagine the zombie world would be. It wouldn't always be conflict and killing or joining up. You go your way, I'll go mine. Nice to meet you. Thanks for the help I needed. But I've got my task and peace be with you. Uh, so, I mean, Jason's just kind of reiterating that that point, I think, of, you know, maybe we are just going to find people that come and go and we never see them again. And that actually kind of is how the zombie apocalypse might be for every person you find that tries to kill you. You might find someone that's like, you know what? I'm just going to keep moving because I don't want to have anything to do with you. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's what life is like today, right? You're basically a, uh, you play a bit part in a lot of other people's lives that they have, you know, fully realized and rich lives that uh, you don't have anything to do with whatsoever. You meet, you talk, you go your separate ways, and very few of them try and kill you. Very few. Yeah, thankfully. Yeah. Sure. I've had, uh, I think the number of people I've met and interacted with and been a bit player in their lives, and they've been a bit player in my lives, I think uh, uh, almost zero has tried to kill me. Yeah, and those are the vast majority of people you meet. Yeah. 
I can't say zero for sure because there's always a possibility of someone who has tried to kill me and I never noticed. Sure. Like, it, you know, they could have thrown something at my head and- Missed. Uh, missed <laughs> and then moved on from there or something. I don't know. Yeah. I can't, I can't for sure say it's zero. No. But it, not none that I know of. I don't think I've, I've ever been aware of someone actually trying to kill me. Well, that's very, very good. Hopefully it is the case. Yet. Uh, but, you know, um, Grace, I, I realized while watching this episode that, you know, she at least partially was introduced into this show, I think, to give us another example of somebody who the group is trying to help. You know, that's that's what they're doing this so yeah. far this season. They're trying to help people and it hasn't really worked out for them. Uh, and it doesn't work out in the case of Grace either. You know, there's an offer for her to stay with them, uh, at which point she reveals that she's radioactive too and goes about, you know, her own thing, goes on her own way. And uh, Morgan says, you know, maybe you'll change your mind. But at the end of the day, they couldn't really do much for her. They're They're not even really staying on board with with helping her out other than saying, if we see any more radioactive zombies, we'll, we'll let you know over the radio, but that's kind of your thing. So good luck with that. Yeah. Um, I think she's just another person that, that they can't help. So they're still striking out in the helping people department. Um, and I think Grace was just putting a exclamation point on the, that sentence. Yeah. I mean, that raises a very interesting question as well. I mean, if, uh, if they don't help her, then she's all, all alone running a nuclear power plant, uh, sort of. If she uh, leaves, I assume there's other reactors that are going to melt down. Like most nuclear power plants have more than one reactor, so uh, uh, that's a concern. And it raises a question of there's other nuclear reactors out there, and if they're all melting down, there's fewer and fewer places you can go to uh, get away from that stuff. Yeah, you would think so. You would think that a good... I mean, there are probably nuclear plants all over North America, right? Yeah. I mean, it does. One single one contaminates a pretty wide area. I would yeah, think. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, absolutely massive uh, area. Like uh, the the radioactive plume, uh, they're bringing down acid rain, and radioactive rain will spoil all the food and. Uh, you know, don't eat anything that grows in the ground or walked on the ground or ate anything that grew, grew on the ground uh, for like thousands of square miles, hundreds of thousands of square miles around each nuclear power plant that has melted down. Like not only are they in the middle of a zombie apocalypse, they're in the middle of a nuclear apocalypse as well. Oh God. They're all fucked. <laughs> well, let's just pretend that isn't the case. Because show would be over if it was. <laughs> yeah, they gotta. They have to ignore it. They just have to pretend. And if all the nu- nuclear reactors had a negative void coefficient, this wouldn't be a problem. But apparently that's, it's a problem. Yeah, apparently it is. <laughs> all right. Well, I don't know, Grace, she's someone they couldn't help and has moved on. We'll see if she comes back. I think she'll be back. Yeah. Amy in Indy writes, I think there is a major problem with Morgan's motivation in this storyline. He says repeatedly that Rick was right and he was wrong and you need people as much as they need you. So why hasn't he tried harder to return to that group? It made perfect sense for him to lead the new group to Virginia, but to decide to abandon any effort to return to people he clearly has a strong connection with uh, makes no sense. He cannot be more bonded to the new group. So where's the motivation? 
to to stay with them, basically, is what Amy is saying. And I, I think Amy makes a pretty good point here that um, I think Morgan probably would try harder to return based on his past history with Rick and those folks. But sadly, I think the reason he doesn't is because the shows have kind of diverged timelines and it would no longer make sense to have him like transition back uh, yeah. to the other show. That being said, he could still try and fail, uh, which maybe Fear the Walking Dead feels like they've already done. Yeah, and there's a difference between uh, acknowledging that uh, a, a good friend of yours is philosophically correct in their uh, life outlook and wanting to go and spend time with them uh, right now. So, you know, he can acknowledge that Rick was right and not mm -hmm. want to go back and hang out with him. I guess so, but I think Amy is saying that if that's his feeling, it would probably be much more of a motivator for him to go back. And I feel yeah. like fear just can't do it. And they probably consider what they did do with him, you know, initially saying we're, we're going back and you're coming with me enough to kind of indicate that Morgan tried, he failed, and then he got a different plan. And his plan now is to stay where he is, work with these folks, help people, and make a life where he is. Yeah, always move forward, don't move back. Yeah, exactly. Literally and forward. figuratively, I guess. Now, I wanted to bring up this about Morgan and his relationship with Alicia, because the two of them have probably had the closest bond in these two episodes, maybe outside of uh, John, Dory, and, and June, but we kind of knew what we were getting with them. They, they bonded and became a thing last season. I feel like Alicia and Morgan, just in these first two episodes, seem to be very tightly knit together, uh, more so than they were last season, because he's like constantly giving her advice. He's reminding her that, you know, she's not alone, that she's part of a group with a purpose. And, you know, there's a scene near the beginning where they're at the plane crash site again, and she goes to kill a couple of walkers while he looks on. And I, I swear he's standing there looking at her very proudly, like, you know, look at how capable she is. And I'm wondering, are they doing... Are they setting up almost like a father-daughter relationship here between Morgan and Alicia? Like, is he taking over the role or the void left by Madison? I, I think it, it's hard to say. I mean, it doesn't have to be uh, a cliched relationship, right? It doesn't have to be father-daughter. It doesn't have to be uh, anything. It just could be a mutually respective relationship of two people that uh, see each other as uh, you know capable zombie hunters and fighters. Yeah, I guess it could be, and and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but uh, it it just feels like they're he's he's looking after her, he's watching over her, he's he's using his experience to to help her through kind of what she's going through right now, and that's kind of what a parent does, right? Yeah, so um, does a friend, though. I guess that's true. So does a friend, um, but I always think of of like as a parent being, you know, I've got. 44 years of life experience behind me and I, I know a, a thing or two. And so when the kids have a problem, you know, you draw on that experience and help them solve that problem because they only have 10 or 12 years of experience in my case. Right. Um, but you're right. I guess anyone can, can provide that sort of support to someone. Don't, don't eat that. I mean, it's, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be a parent to, uh, 
to know that kind of thing, right? To, right, to know not to eat worms. <laughs> That's a piece of dirt you picked up off the ground. Don't eat that. You know, yeah, you, yeah, you could be just, a, you know, hang, walking down the street with a friend of yours and they pick up, they say, hey, look, a French fry. It's like, no, don't eat that, stupid. <laughs> you, know? you don't know how long that's been on the ground. <laughs> yeah, offering friendly advice. Yeah, okay. I suppose that's very true. What about uh I you know what I did appreciate though when they were when they were talking is the reference to to Morgan clearing because Alicia was saying, you know, I kill zombies. That's what I do. I'm good at it. Everyone I kill is one less that's out there that could hurt someone. And that's just like when Morgan was clearing except he was more crazy at the time. He was more crazy at the time. Yeah. But uh yeah, I'm yes, everything in moderation. I guess so. That's true. I I just appreciated the reference, and you know, I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that those sorts of things or those past things are playing a role on the show right now. But I must admit, I think Morgan and Alicia, despite how I'm kind of enjoying their relationship, they need to stop having these conversations or stop having them as kind of on the nose as they are, right? And and maybe just show us the characters supporting each other and, and doing things that that kind of depict the relationship that that I'm seeing here I think I think they they off they too often just stand in a room together and be like I used to be crazy too and I opened a door <laughs> and I it changed my life and here I am and I knew a guy who really really helped out I'm like yeah we get it let's just yep. let's just sort of show this happening rather than telling us so much absolutely yeah you know anyways um all right. The other big thing, I guess, here is Daniel returning and what's going on with Strand. And Adam in Texas writes, my holy crap moment has to be Daniel returning to us, only to leave again. I hope that's not going to be his thing from now on, just randomly showing up, only to disappear. I think uh, I can only like this character contiguously. <laughs> <laughs> I love that word, contiguous. It's a good word. It it's, is a good word. Uh, it's a good word. So... Uh, yeah, and nobody shot him in the face or tried to burn him down uh, in this particular episode, so he didn't die at the end. Like no, he's done he, every other time. That's right, he didn't. He didn't blow up on a bridge or anything. He now has a, a complete, huge compound and airport to himself. Is he there by himself? Well, that's what I was wondering too. That's a note I made. I, I it seemed like he was there by himself, and and where did he get all that stuff? He seems very well set up. Yeah, maybe it's the cat. You know, maybe he has uh, a skid mark mm -hmm. uh, has been helping him out. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's an interesting name for a cat, but I kind of like it. It's a good uh, name. But I'm, I, I am curious about where he got all that stuff, how he's managed to survive all there by him, all alone by himself. I don't know. Maybe that makes it easier because you don't have anyone else to A, protect, or B, you know, double cross you. Well, it's hard to, you know, uh, maintain a compound uh, and protect it from not only hordes of zombies, but uh, other marauders uh, all by yourself. Like, you got to sleep sometime. You can't man all the walls at the same time. It's very true. It's very true. You, I mean, it helps to have someone who, who can stay on watch. You know, three people are ideal. That way one can, person can be awake at any given moment. Yeah. And, yeah, or uh, one person can be asleep and the other two can shag. That too. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> three too. people is ideal. All take right. turns shagging. Uh, yes, I guess so. Because somebody's got to be asleep or somebody, somebody's got to be on watch. So they all, I mean, they could occasionally all get together and have a shag, but uh, yeah, three, three people. 
Right. Perfect. Um, yeah, two people, there's no time to shag because there's uh, too much to do. But three people, you you got some shagging to do. You, you clearly have thought this through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. Um, I don't know. Everything else with Strand and Daniel here, they didn't see – they didn't really make a big deal of Daniel returning to the show because – well – I mean, I guess because they decided to promote it in the marketing, so it's not like anyone really didn't know he was coming back. I guess some people did who don't really pay attention to that kind of stuff, but it, it didn't feel like a big, momentous reveal to me to have him back on the show. Um, and everything between him and Strand kind of felt like it just was there to reinforce what I think this season will be about. And I've said it before, but it's helping people. You know, Strand goes to him to try to appeal to Daniel to help them out. They need a plane, and he seems to be very well set up, but Daniel rejects him and says, I'm not giving you the plane, and now you have to leave. And so once again, they couldn't, you know, he refuses to help, and, you know, I don't think Strand can really do anything to help himself at this point. So, you know, as Adam and Texas said off the top, is Daniel just going to be just, sort of popping up on the show once in a while uh, randomly here and there. I don't think so. I don't think they would bring back a character who was in, uh, what, three seasons of this show consistently to, to do that. But I just don't see where it's going other than maybe the group will sort of show up and convince them to let them move in because they don't have a denim factory anymore. Maybe. Yeah, that, that 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 he's got a you know a pretty decent compound all to himself, ready for uh, additional people to uh, get together and shag. <laughs> sure, I guess he hasn't had that in a while. He might he might welcome the idea. Yeah, and what did Strand expect, really? I mean, if you think about it, the last time I you know he saw uh, saw him, he shot him in the face, right, right, At, and tried to blow him up. It's like, well, can I borrow a plane? <laughs> no, I don't think uh, so. Get out of here! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dumbass. What's the matter with you? I mean, he even threatened me. He shot twice in the air and said, "If you come back, the next one goes in your face." Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty clear. Um, but also, you know, Salazar—he is the antithesis of the group right now. He refuses to help, and he's not trying to help anyone. So, you know, that that just adds further tension between what they're trying to do and what he's trying to do. Yeah, I, don't I know. personally would be disinclined to uh, help somebody that shot me in the face. It's just it's the way I'm I'm designed. Well, yeah, it I I agree with that. Um, well, there is you know always the turn the other cheek mentality. You know, if you only shot me in one side of the face, maybe. Well, you know, as you know, as Strand did, only shot him in one side of the face. But I don't know. We'll see. Salazar's there. We know where he is. Uh, maybe once he sees Alicia and people he knows, then he'll change his tune a little bit. But you're right. Strand is not really the best guy to go to him and say, I need a plane, need some help, because he's not so inclined. Right. Uh, and then, I mean, Strand is just, I feel like still just kind of being Strand. He's drinking, he's talking too much, as Salazar says. Uh, so far Strand doesn't seem to have changed very much in season five, but again, he's only been two episodes and in a handful of scenes, so we don't really know what yeah, he's all about. we don't want him to change overnight. We want it to be gradual. That's true, but they often use the break between seasons to, you know, 
uh, progress a character a little bit. Which that's, that's where character development happens, right? Not during the season itself, where we no. can see, but in between seasons, <laughs> that's where that's where the development happens. Right, right. There's nothing lazy about that. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, anything else about season five, episode two, Jason? As, as we set off the top, I. Didn't mind it. I don't think it was a fantastic episode, but I think it was a step in the right direction for fear. And uh, and I, I just hope the show continues to go that way. Um, despite the problems in this episode, it at least was a step in the right direction for me. Yeah. And I really liked the uh, dang, keep out sign that they, they ran into. <laughs> dang, keep out. <laughs> I need to get that on a shirt or something. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, I do have one email here. Uh, which is a follow-up, a, a very quick follow-up about uh, uh, episode one. This comes from Trisha in Massachusetts, and she says, we have a lot of textile mills in Massachusetts. It's a thing. And that's something we were wondering about nice. last uh, podcast. She sent a link to a history of Massachusetts, I think .org page, that listed at least 45 quote-unquote mill towns that were established during the Industrial Revolution in Massachusetts. So nice. there's lots of them down there. Sounds uh, like it. And it's a thing. So that answers our question. That's awesome. And thank you, Trisha, for sending that in. Thank you. All right. Um, that is going to do it for this podcast, everyone. And... Uh, you know, thanks for tuning in. If you've got anything else to say about this episode or future episodes, by all means, please reach out and get in touch. We want to hear it and uh, want to include it on the show. I hoped, I, I, I think the format went pretty well tonight. We got, you know, feedback from listeners. We kind of went through some of it and, uh, and let it guide the conversation a little bit. So I hope everyone enjoyed it. I know I did, and we'll keep trying it for a little while. Cool. What's the score? It's currently 2 nothing St. Louis in the third period. Is that good? That's good. Go Blues. Okay. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. Uh, if you want to get in touch, please send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. That comes uh, right to us. It's the best way to get in touch. You can also visit the website, click on send voicemail, and record a message for us, which is really good. If you would like to help support the show, there's two great ways to do that. Visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thetalkingdead, where you can make a small monthly pledge that just helps us with all the costs of putting on the show. It's an easy thing to do. It costs you virtually nothing, and uh, it really, really makes us happy. If that's not your thing, then you can make a one-time donation by visiting talkingdeadpodcast.com slash PayPal, and then just send us a uh, really quick uh, donation one time that way. So that's talkingdeadpodcast.com slash PayPal to do that. Thank you to everyone who has done it, and we really appreciate it. But um, it is uh, it is something that really helps out with, with the show and putting it on. All right, that's going to do it. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead or on Twitter at talkingdead. So until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.